Good morning. Oh, welcome uh, to week two, or no, sorry, week three. This is week three of our series. And uh, the first few weeks, we looked at the story of Jacob and Leah. And today, we start a whole new story in the Old Testament again, uh, where we are looking at stories in Scripture where people are broken and bruised, they are in a time of great need, and they do not know what to do, and at just the right moment, God comes to their rescue. So let me ask you the question today, voici la question, est-ce que vous êtes prêts? Are you ready? Here we go. Are you ready to study God's Word today? Okay. Now, it is always good to bring a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use your phone to follow along today. We will have a lot of the verses in, uh, on the screen, but it is always good to look up, especially when we're going through a story like this, a long passage of scripture. We are in fact going through the entire book of Esther today. So buckle up, okay? We're gonna do it quickly. And, uh, and so in the book of Esther, we meet a man named King Xerxes. And Xerxes was the king of Persia in around 400 to 500 BC. We're talking about close to 500 years before Jesus was born. And King Xerxes, uh, in ruling over the Persian Empire, uh, you gotta understand, it's huge. It extends all the way from places like Northern Africa, in Egypt, over into Asia Minor, and throughout parts of uh, the Middle East and, and, uh, and Eastern Europe. It was a huge, huge empire. He's possibly, most likely, the most powerful man in the world at this point in history. His title is the King of All Kings. And there's a problem with Xerxes that he uh, is one of those men who has great power but no accountability. That's a dangerous thing, yes? In fact, one of the great challenges is that King Xerxes is both powerful and prideful. And you've got to realize that power without being prideful is a wonderful thing. It can accomplish great things in the world. And prideful without power can't do as much damage. But power and pride is a dangerous combination. And we also learn in chapter one that King Xerxes is a party animal. He likes to eat and drink and have fun with his friends. And so as we enter into chapter one, we find that, that in just the first uh, chapter, it tells us about three parties in just the first nine verses. And the first party he throws is 180 days long. Look at Esther chapter one, verse four. It says, for a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. And so after this party, he decides to throw another feast, a banquet that lasts seven days. And at this feast, Esther 1, 7 says, wine was served in 
uh, goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. And in the next verse, it basically says, people could ask for whatever they want, and the king was giving it away. This is the kind of guy that people want to hang out with. You know how sometimes celebrities or athletes, you know, like Justin Bieber or an NHL star have a posse of people who hang around because they get free stuff? Man, people are hanging around for free stuff with King Xerxes. And then we meet the king's wife. And unlike her husband, she is a woman of dignity. Verse 10 says, on the seventh day when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine. What does that mean? That means he is drunk, exactly. And so he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, verse 11, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. And so King Xerxes is showing off all his stuff, all his possessions, how powerful he is. And, and he decides to show off one of his, his most, uh, most prized possessions. And it wasn't because she, you know, he wasn't bringing her out to show off her brains, right? He wasn't saying, hey, honey, come do math problems for everybody. He wasn't inviting her out in order to, to, to show off a cooking demonstration. He wasn't here to help her, uh, you know, show off her leadership ability. It says he wants to show off her what? Her, her beauty. Like, hey guys, look at what I've got, which is a disgusting display, yes? Wholly inappropriate. But Vashti does something radical in verse 12. She sends back a message to the king and says, not today, buddy. She's had enough. Well, nobody says no to the king. And so the king becomes furious and he burns with anger. He's so angry, he doesn't know what to do. And so he consults with the men who work with him. Verse 15, according to law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. And so all these guys who work with King Xerxes give him advice. And they say, look, king, you better nip this in the bud. What if all of our wives find out that the queen disobeyed her husband? Then we'll all have trouble. There'll be chaos in the land if women have the ability to, to, to make their own choices. Before you know it, they'll be wanting to work outside of the home and have equal rights and be able to vote and equal pay. It'll be madness. And so he listens to their bad advice. And the king kicks her out of the palace, she is ba banished from the kingdom. And then in chapter two, he starts to sober up and he realizes, hey, wait a minute, I don't have a queen anymore. And so chapter two, verse two, then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful virgins for the king. And in the next few verses, you have basically these testosterone-filled guys saying, here's a great idea. Let's have a beauty pageant. 
We'll bring all the prettiest girls from around Persia, you know, the Miss Persia pageant. And so they bring all these young ladies to the palace and they begin to give them makeovers. Chapter two, verse eight, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai who had charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her, this being Esther, with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. And verse 10 says, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background. That is hugely significant. Because what is Esther's nationality and family background? She is Jewish. And this is Persia. Her people are in exile in this land, in a far off land. They don't necessarily have you know, the same rights. They're second class citizens. But somehow no one found out that Esther was Jewish. And so in verse 12, it says, before a girl's turn came to go in to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments. 12 months of beauty treatments. Guys, next time you want to complain about how long it takes your wife, you got nothing to complain about. Long story short, Esther wins. The king declares her to be the, the queen. They put the crown on Esther's head. And what does Xerxes do? The same thing he always does. He throws a party. Yes, dude loves to party. And so they all live happily ever after, right? Wrong. Chapter three, verse one. So after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman. Everybody say that name. Say Haman. Haman. Son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. He honored him, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. Except for one. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai, but Mordecai, but who but Mordecai would not kneel down and pay honor to Haman. And so the king makes Haman the most powerful man in all of the land, but there is this one guy, one guy named Haman who will not bow down, or named Mordecai who will not bow down to Haman. Now, let's talk about who is Mordecai. Mordecai is the adoptive father of Esther. Now, nobody in the palace knows this, but Esther's parents died when she was young, and so Mordecai raised her. He was like a father to her. And even though Mordecai was Jewish, he had, had raised up to a position of leadership in the king's court. And nobody knows that, that Mordecai and Esther are related. We're in chapter 3 still. Look at verse 5. When Haman saw 
that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. He was enraged. He's got all this stuff, right? He can have anything he wants, Haman. He's the most powerful man in the, in the land next to the king. Everybody has to bow down and worship him. But just one guy who won't do what he wants, who won't give him the respect he feels he deserves, and Haman cannot be happy. And so he, he scorned. He learned who Mordecai's people were, the Jews, and he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. And instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So Haman goes to the king and he says, King, I have discovered a plot against you. There are some bad people in your kingdom. You can't trust this group of people. They are plotting against you. Let me take care of you and squash out this conspiracy so that I can kill them so they won't cause you any more problems. And so Xerxes says, oh, Haman, old buddy, old pal, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for looking out for me. Haman, I know you always have my back and I appreciate appreciate that. So whatever you want to do, Haman, whoever you need to take care of, whatever group you need to kill, go ahead. But here's the thing. The king did not know that this was about Mordecai. The king did not know that this was about the Jews. The king did not know that this was about Esther, his wife, who was one of them. And so Mordecai and all the Jews in the land are terrified. What are they going to do? And so they did what you always do when you don't know what to do. They began to pray. Amen? They began to pray, and Mordecai and Esther began to talk together. And as we move into chapter 4, Mordecai says here in chapter 4, Esther, you have to go talk to the king. Please beg him for mercy not to kill us, the Jews. But in chapter 4, verse 11, Esther says to Mordecai, all the king's officials and, and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. If you don't have an invitation, the king does not have to see you. And to come in without an invitation, even if you are the queen, means death. And she says, and there's another problem. She goes on to tell Mordecai, also, the king and I haven't even talked for over 30 days. I've not even seen the king for a month. In other words, Mordecai, I am not as powerful as you think I am. I don't have nearly as much influence as you think I do. And you need to realize something. You may think that you don't matter. You may think that your choices don't have any consequences, that it's just you and nobody's watching. But the fact of the matter is, you have more influence than you think you do. In fact, sometimes one of the frustrations is as a leader in your organization, you, like you look out at the people at work, and unfortunately, sometimes the people who deserve influence the least are the ones who end up with it the most, right? And so you have to use whatever influence you have for the glory of God and to stand up for people who think they have none. In chapter 4, verse 12, when Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. 
He said, Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, God didn't just make you rich for your own benefit. God didn't just give you that position for your own comfort and security. God gave you your position and influence so that you could use it on behalf of others for his kingdom. Mordecai says, Esther, maybe God has put you in this position for such a time as this and for such a task as this. And for some of you, maybe you don't understand why you are in the role that you're in. You don't understand why you're in the place that you are, why God has you in this situation. But listen, maybe it's because he has you there for a purpose. Maybe God has something he wants you to accomplish. Maybe God has put you right where you are for such a time as this and for such a task as this because if you don't do it, who will? And so notice what Esther does, chapter four, verse 15. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Which fasting, for those of you who don't know that English word, fasting is when you withstain, uh, withhold food for a season of time in order to devote yourself to prayer. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maids will fast as you do, Mordecai. And Esther says, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Now, two things to consider here. The first question I want to ask you, number one, is who is Mordecai in your life? Who do you have in your life right now who pushes you and motivates you and encourages you to get closer to God? In fact, that's why we believe small groups are so important. That's why small groups are, are, are woven into the fabric of our church and because we know that we need each other. How many of you think you already have enough negative people in your life who pull you down? Go ahead, come on now. We all have negative influencers who pull us down. What we need is more positive people who will model for us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and will push us closer to God and lift us up to him. And, and so we need to evaluate this truth. As you evaluate your circle of friends, you need people that you pour into, people who you are encouraging and lifting up, but you also need to know that you have to have people above you who are pulling you up, who challenge you and hold you accountable because the fact is you become who you hang around the most. Evaluate your circle. Secondly, the push was for her to do this right away. Esther, you need to act now. And sometimes we need to know the when is as important as the what. 
Oh, this is for some of you here today. Listen, this is one of the things that I have struggled with in my life, the timing issue. Sometimes I know what God wants me to do, but I don't yet know when he wants me to do it. Have you been there? People will pressure you and say, you need to do something now. Why aren't you acting? You need, to, you need to stand up. But just because you know what to do does not necessarily mean you know when God wants you to do it. And knowing when is just as important as the what. I've had so many times in leadership decisions where I, I have to make a big decision and I know that it will f- affect a lot of people and I've sought counsel and, I've, and, 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 and gotten the advice of people and scripture and, and sought the direction of God. And sometimes I will have a sense that I know what needs to happen. And I start to feel that external pressure. Oh no, people are, wor- people are questioning because I've not made this decision yet, because I've not made this call yet. People are questioning my leadership and, and thinking that I'm a, a weak leader because I haven't done what needs to be done yet. And, that, and I don't yet have the sense from God that the time is right. And then all of a sudden I get up one day and one morning I'm in the word of God or I get up and go out to exercise And God speaks to me and says, today is the day. And and for Esther, notice that she was not going to let other people push her into making a decision until she had heard from God. And so she calls all of the Jewish people into a seizing of fasting and prayer. And remember, there's like a 99% chance that this is going to end in death because if you come to the king without an invitation, you're laying your life on the line. And so she gets all dressed up. Now, I don't know that she took 12 months to get ready this time, but I bet she took a while. And she gets ready and she fixed up and prayed up And she opens the door to walk into the king's court, wondering what mood will he, he be in today. And fortunately, the king is in a good mood. And he says, come to me, Esther. Tell me, what is it that you want today? And Esther has a plan. God has given her some direction. Look at chapter five, verse four. Chapter five, verse four. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to to a banquet that I have prepared for him. (laughs) She's smart because what does Xerxes like to do? He likes to party. He likes to eat and drink and, and Haman is his best buddy. And so sure, Xerxes says, you got food, you got wine, I'm there. I'll bring Haman and we'll come to your place tonight for dinner. So that night, chapter five, verse six, as they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther, now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is it uh, that you request? And so Esther is smart. She has a plan and she says, King, I just want to ask one thing. Before we even talk seriously, let's just spend more time together and, and, and you come back and Haman come back tomorrow night and we'll have more food and more drink and then we'll talk some more. And so what, is, what does Haman think about all this? He thinks this is awesome. He loves this. Because Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence. He was filled with rage against Mordecai. 
Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friend and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. He said, I'm the only person that Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all of this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the gate. Verse 14, his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a gallows built 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Mordecai thinks this is the best idea I've heard in a long time. And so he, he brings in the crew that night and early in the morning to construct this gallows, 75 feet high. Like if he's going to make Mordecai pay, everybody's going to see it for kilometers and kilometers around. He thinks this is the best way to humiliate Mordecai, the man of God, the Jew. And so he comes into the king's court the next morning, but he doesn't know what had happened the night before. That night, the king has trouble sleeping. Let's look at chapter six, verse one. While Mordecai is building his gallows to hang uh, or while Haman is trying to get ready to hang Mordecai. Meanwhile, that night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the records of his reign, to be brought in and read to him, like for a bedtime story, okay? So like instead of counting sheep, he says, bring the book to read to me all the great things that I have done. Read to me about me so that I can put me to sleep. Okay, so get ready. God is about to show up and show out. This is so good. This is so good. So the servant begins to read, verse 2. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. And so all of a sudden, the king is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Read to me that part again about Mordecai. Oh, wow. He had forgotten that this guy Mordecai, who worked for him, had saved his life a while back. Now, remember, he doesn't know that Mordecai is Esther's cousin who raised her. You see how God is working behind the scenes? See, many times when you think others are plotting for your destruction, God is plotting for your rescue. Verse 3. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? Remind me what we did for Mordecai. The king asked, nothing has been done for him. His attendants answered. And the king lays there in bed and thinks, oh no, I can't believe. We never did anything to honor Mordecai for this great thing he did in saving my life. So the next morning, they get up. Mordecai has finished building the gallows 75 feet high to kill Mordecai. Haman comes walking into the king's court, and the king says, Oh, Haman, I am so glad to see you. I've got to ask you a question. And Haman says, Oh, okay. 
Well, that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm your best guide. Whatever you need, king, I'm here to do it for you. And the king says in verse three, what honor and, uh, or I'm sorry, when the king uh, entered, or Haman entered, the king asked him, verse six, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Like, I want to honor somebody, but I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it. And what does Haman think? Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? <laughs> I mean, really, is there anybody greater than me in all of Persia? I mean, obviously, if the king wants to honor somebody, it's me. This is so good. Haman thinks, this is going to be the best day of my life. The king wants to honor me, and I get to, uh, to kill Mordecai all on the same day. He's like, it's my birthday. It's my birthday. And so, so Haman thinks, okay, I got I to make this really good. What should I tell the king to do for me? Okay, king, I've got an idea. Here's what you should do for this man that you want to honor, whoever it might be. Don't know, can't tell. But whoever it is, here's what you should do. Haman says, King, what you should do is organize a big parade in the city and make everybody come to it for this parade. And then you take this man that you want to honor, get out one of your most beautiful king robes, you know, like with the fur and the, and the spots and all the, the velour, and it, it's going to be beautiful with gold chains and clasps. And just get the best one you've got. Put it on the man. Then get one of your big, beautiful, royal horses out of the stable, like the biggest, coolest, baddest horse you've got. And bring it out, put the robe on the man, put the crown of the king on his head, big gold crown. You get to be king for a day. Put him on top of your royal horse, and then here to here's the cherry on top. King, what you need to do is get a little tiny crown and put it on top of the horse too. So the man's got the robe, got the, king on, the crown on top of his head, and even the horse has a little tiny crown on his head. A horse with a crown on his head. I don't know Haman's last name. It might have been Kardashian. <laughs> and so Haman says, then get your chief officials to lead the man through the city streets riding on the horse and everybody will cheer and shout his name and it'll be wonderful. That's what you should do for the man that the king delights to honor. King Xerxes says, oh, that is such a great idea. <laughs> Haman, I knew that I had you in second in command for a good reason. You, all that stuff that you just said, go do all that stuff for Mordecai. And Haman's like, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, huh? <laughs> for, for Mordecai? And so imagine how humiliating this is that Haman has to lead the horse through the city with Mordecai sitting on it, wearing the king's robes, wearing the big gold crown. The horse has a little bitty crown on top of his head and Mordecai is humiliated walking him through the streets of the city as the people cheer. What he thought was going to be his best day turned out to be his worst day. And he thinks this could not possibly get any worse. <laughs> but just wait. Don't you love how God is working behind the scenes? And you need to remember this. You may have a Haman in your life. Someone who is plotting for your destruction. They lie about you. They tell other people bad stories about you. They are taking you down. But when you are faithful to God, no weapon formed against you will prosper. When God is for you, who can be against you?
So that night, Haman and the king go back to Esther for another banquet. And Haman's like, I'm glad all that's done. And so they're sitting there at the dinner table. And here you have Esther, you have the king, and Haman. Chapter three, 7, verse 3. Chapter 7, verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, and then she drops the bomb. She says, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. And she goes on to explain, king, there is a man in your kingdom, an evil man who is trying to kill me, your queen, who's trying to kill my family and to kill all of my people. And Xerxes is enraged Verse five, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? This man who has dared to do such a thing. And Esther said, an adversary, an enemy. This vile Haman is the one. I told you Haman's day was about to get worse. And Haman is freaking out. Oh no, it's not me. And Xerxes jumps up and grabs Haman. And, 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 and what am I gonna do? He hollers, what am I going to do with this horrible, awful, evil servant who has betrayed me? And all the servants are standing around the table at the banquet, right? Nobody likes Haman. And they're like, you know, king, I happen to remember that this morning someone built a 75-foot gallows to kill someone. How convenient that is. And so what does verse 10 say? So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Listen, sometimes you should not fight for yourself and let God fight for you. And those who plot your destruction will often eventually fall into their own trap. Amen? And so, that's what you call ironic justice. So now the king has an open position for second command. Who will I give this position of Haman to? And Mordecai gets the job that Haman used to have. And when you study Jewish history, you know that this is the story of Purim. Even to this day, Jews celebrate the holiday they called Purim. It's Esther's story. It's Mordecai's story. And it is God's word to you. Because listen, maybe God has brought you to this place and brought you to this task for such a time as this. And you may look at the world and think that there is no hope. And you look at our country right now and the elections going on this month and, and the corruption and people you know, casting accusations against each other and you think we have it, it bad in Canada and then you watch what's going on in the States right now and it seems like all around the world people are going crazy, people are hating each other and there's bitterness and strife and fear is often a natural result. I understand why people are afraid. But listen, never forget that God has brought you to this place. 
and that you were born in this generation for a purpose, that you were not an accident. God knew that he was going to raise you up and that you would have a role to play in God's plan for this world, that you are here for a reason and remember that you have a God that is bigger than all of this stuff. Listen, listen, your problem may be big, but your God is bigger. You might have enemies who are strong, but your God is stronger. Because listen, in the short term, evil gets victories. But in the end, the battle has already been won. Whatever you do, do not confuse a temporary battle being lost to the entire war, which Jesus has already won. There's a difference. In the end, faithfulness is going to win. In the end, integrity is going to win. In the end, love is going to win. No matter where you are in the story right now, know that your story is not over because God's love wins in the end. Amen? Let's stand together. Oh, Father, thank you for your presence here today. And so, Lord, we pray right now for anyone in this room who has not yet surrendered their life to Jesus. We know that every week you bring people here to this place. You have people who watch with us online every week, many of whom have not yet made a decision for Jesus. But we are reminded today that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, so that we can be forgiven and set free, that Jesus came to our rescue so that we can enter your family and become part of your church, the family of God, and part of your redemptive plan to bring hope and healing in this world. That you have secured for us the destiny of heaven, our eternity with you. And so right now, as you're speaking into people's hearts, if there's anybody in this room right now who needs to make that decision to surrender to you, just right now in your heart, would you say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I confess that I need you. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross so that I can be forgiven. And I receive his forgiveness. He paid the price for my sins. I do not deserve this gift of new life. I do not deserve your salvation, and yet because of your love, you have made the way for me. And so right now in your heart, listen, tell your heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Come in and take control as I surrender to Jesus. Oh, Father, just minister to their hearts give hope and healing. And so for anyone who made that prayer today, if you made a decision to surrender yourself 
to Christ. I wanna make sure that we have ushers who are ready. Uh, do you have those books ready in order uh, to give out? Because I just sense it's possible that some of you need help getting a start in that journey with Jesus right now. And so all around the room, we have, uh, we have people at the back who, uh, who would love to bring a gift to you. If you would raise your hand in just a minute and say, today I gave my life to Jesus and I wanna take my next steps. I wanna begin reading in his word. And that's what that little book does. And if you'll fill out the card inside of that, we'll follow up with you. We will pray with you and help you get started in your journey with your next steps with Jesus and with the church. And so if that's where you are, again, no pressure. We just wanna celebrate you and help you. And so right now, so that they can bring that gift to you and we can celebrate. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, would you raise your hand up high, hold it high and proud and tell the world, Jesus is my salvation. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my life. Amen. Hold it up until we get that book to you. If there's, are there more in the room? Are there more here today? Oh, we're gonna get with you. In fact, you can even come forward for prayer. We always have prayer at the end of the service. Uh, we have prayer team members who will be here in just a few minutes at, as soon as we close the service. And we have some important business to do at the end of the service before then. But let me just pray for everybody else. Heavenly Father, wherever people are, maybe they're in a battle. Maybe they have Haman right now who is cursing them. Haman who is out for their destruction. Maybe there is a Haman in their life who is trying to take them down. But we know that your love, Father, is greater. Your love is stronger and that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Father, cause faith and courage to rise up, to stand for integrity, to stand for truth, to stand in your life as a beacon to the world that people will know that Jesus is real because they see him alive in our lives. Let's sing it together.